episode 889. It's the 50th anniversary of the Ice Bowl this weekend, and to honor that occasion, we're talking to the director and narrator of the new NFL Films documentary on that game, Michael Meredith. It's all coming up on Railbird Central next. Good morning, Green Bay Packers fans, and welcome to Railbird Central at Cheesehead TV, the longest tenured Packers podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Brian Caravu, and today we're talking about the Ice Bowl and previewing the Packers' regular season finale. To do that, we're going to feature an interview here momentarily with Michael Meredith, a pre-recorded interview. Sit back and enjoy. Baltar, find me another expert, one that likes me this time, okay? Right now on Railbird Central, we're joined by Michael Meredith, narrator of the new documentary on the Ice Bowl by NFL Films and son of Don Meredith. Mike, how you doing today? I'm doing fine, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. And before we dig in here, Michael, can, can you just start by telling us who you are and who Don Meredith is? Because after all... This game we're going to talk about is 50 years old, and some of the the younger listeners, particularly Green Bay fans, may not know who Don Meredith is. Well, uh, hopefully this film will will help remind a few folks. It's one of the reasons I I got you know produced it and directed it and did all that. Um, well, my name is Michael Meredith. I'm Don's son, and my father was the the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys actually the first Dallas Cowboy in history before they had a coach or even had named a team. And uh, he went on to play for, for nine seasons. And the eighth of those uh, included a game that ended in Green Bay on New Year's Eve in 1967. Yes, uh, a game that'll live in infamy. Uh, I've gotten a chance to screen the documentary ahead of time, and, and and I knew that you were the narrator, but but you weren't just given a script, Michael. You you interviewed people, you hauled equipment, you said you, you produced it. I mean, can you tell us how this all came about and why you played such an integral role? Well, yeah, I, um, I I spoke with my dad about this years and years ago, and um, I'm I come from the narrative film world. This is actually my first documentary. I've always worked with actors and scripted stuff, um, and that was the original plan with the Ice Bowl. Actually, was to to do it um, as a two-hour movie with actors and uh, kind of tell the story in that way. But um, I, I started a documentary four and a half years ago, in part to research the film and get to know it better and to know a little bit more about my, my own family's you know, part of the story. And um, I, I didn't work every day on it. I did some other projects, but I started interviewing folks when I could, um, particularly because some of these guys are getting older and memories fade, and all, you know, the great ages onward roll. So... I wanted to make hay while the sun shines, and I, I started with Bart Starr in Birmingham, Alabama. It'll be five years ago this July, <laughs> and um, since that time, I've just met an amazing, uh, uh, you know, crew of folks. I, I knew a lot of the Cowboys, of course, but not the Packers, and um, it's been a, a filmmaking journey like none that I've ever had taken before. So, very happy I started it. 
Well, as part of your journey, you have traveled to Wisconsin, not just now, but in the past and in 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 your filming and all that for this this documentary. What stuck out in your mind about the city and the team and the culture of Green Bay and the Packers from an outsider's point of view? Well, um, I, I tell you that it's a little bit colder than Dallas. I've learned that for sure, <laughs> particularly today. <laughs> I actually, uh, the sense of humor, the Wisconsin sense of humor, I've really uh, been fond of. And I'll tell you this one story. I, I woke up this morning, phone was ringing, and I answered it, and a very nice voice said, Good morning, Mr. Meredith. It's nine below zero. Have a nice day. And that was a throwback to a call that was made in Appleton, Wisconsin, to my dad in his hotel room the day of the ice bowl, and it was 13 degrees below zero. So, you know, four degrees off, but uh, rather similar, and uh, 50 years later. So, But I, I think the answer is uh, all, all the folks that I've met – coming from enemy territory and uh, taking the liberty of doing a film on something that's such an important part of you know the Green Bay history and fabric. Everyone's embraced me and been very gracious and kind, and um, I've just felt welcomed from everybody, like Jerry Kramer to the, the fan that's actually... I just uh, I had lunch earlier, and I was walking past the venue where they're going to screen the film, and there was already a few fans down there sitting out front <laughs> hours and hours beforehand to, you know, general seating to get the right seat. So he, uh, everyone has been really kind to me, and um, I appreciate that. So, of course, a, a big part of the reason this game is so famous, so memorable, is the cold, as as you alluded to. And, and as someone yeah. interested in language and words, hosting a talk show here, I, I'm curious to know, is there anything you remember about the people describing the cold that day, the similes and metaphors, and, and just the plain old description of it? Yeah, I, I really got into asking the guys that question. Like, for someone who picture someone who's actually never even experienced cold of any kind doesn't know what try to describe it and not just uh you know i can feel it in my bones or and i think one of the most interesting responses i got was from pettis norman dallas cowboy and he said i think i would say it was like someone walked up with a bunch of little tiny knives and cut off all my clothes and i was completely exposed to the cold in a you know in a second in a flash of a second and uh, and I just wanted to run for my life. So <laughs> I thought, wow, it's like a bunch of little ninjas coming and cutting off someone's clothes. But, uh, yeah, everyone had a different kind of uh, memory or sense memory. A lot, of, a lot of the guys said they looked up into the stands and they, all they could see was fog, like it was the San Francisco Bay, because all the breath exhale from the fans just created this dense fog. They couldn't even see the faces of the audience sometimes. Um, so visual things like that, and uh, and then just mentally, what the, the mental stories of what happened to the guys because of the conditions and maybe even hyperthermia and stuff like that is there's some funny funny stories there. Remarkable. Uh, now th- there are people like me that are interested in words, and, and those and there are those that are interested in science, and and you attempted to get a scientific explanation for the weather from a local meteorologist. Can you tell our listeners about that interview and that meeting and how that went? Yeah, I went into WBA, which uh, you know Vince Lombardi had done his show in years ago, and um, we we've kind of put, pulled out the meteorologist charts and uh, had the whole thing set up. 
and understood that it was actually much colder uh, the, uh, the few days earlier, and it just hadn't moved down. And uh, not being a, a real scientific master myself, I, I don't want to bastardize what happened, but it seemed like um, a, a once-in-a-million kind of cold front that dropped down at the last minute surprised everybody, from uh, the meteorologists to the coaches to the players, and um, just the, the temperature changed so radically from the day before to the, to the day of that it was pretty uncommon. And, of course, the coldest New Year's Eve in Green Bay history I woke up this morning, looked on the news, and they're talking about Times Square, New Year's celebration is going to be the coldest in 50 years. So I just had to wonder. <laughs> oh, that would be 1967 if my math is correct. So it seemed like it was moving along. Yeah, it wasn't just cold in Green Bay. It was pretty cold across the nation, as, as the meteorologist explained it. Uh, obviously, very cold in Green Bay, but that was quite a cold front. Um, Michael, before we wrap up here, you, you mentioned in the show how the Ice Bowl holds kind of a mythic legacy among Cowboys fans. And I think Packers fans might be surprised to hear that because it's easy to understand why the Packers fans have reverence for the game. Green Bay won, but, but why do you think Cowboys fans fans hold this game in such high regard that's a tricky question and there's multiple answers um, that i've kind of gleaned from doing this film and over the years and i don't know if any of them are right and uh, the film kind of asked that question too uh, but i think it's it's a bygone era it's uh, most of the guys that were playing back then were not making the kind of salaries they were making these days some of them had off field summer jobs and there's the perception, anyway, that the the, the guys were maybe they they played. I mean, I can't imagine playing in those conditions unless you really, really love the game. So the love of the game mythology seems to be stronger. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But uh, you know, when men were men and they played for for their teammates and integrity and love of the game. And then I think it was a shift, a big shift in the sport and in society. Things were just changing then. The Packers represented kind of a um, more of a post-World War II Puritan America uh, 50s mentality, and the, the Cowboys were more flashy, and uh, the counterculture scene was represented there. So you had literally kind of uh, two different demos and two different ideologies and styles of play. Lombardi was very traditional and had the sweep and the, you know, not the most expansive playbook. And, and Landry's was really complicated. And Cowboys had the fastest man, you know, on the planet, on the team. And it was a jazzy sort of contrast. So it's a long answer to your question, but there was different styles, and um, it was the end of an era, I think, also. Lombardi's last game that he ever coached in Lambeau, and the three-peat, the legacy, the dynasty, all of that kind of was was formed on that day. One last question before I let you go, Mr. Meredith. I, I was rather shocked to hear players from both sides say they didn't want to play in the game or that they think it should be canceled, and and that's something you'd never hear a player say uh, nowadays. Uh, do, do you think if we ever see weather like this again, again for an NFL game, do you think that the league would cancel it or postpone it? 
I I would leave that decision up to the commissioner, but in my opinion, I would say yes. I, I mean, you you did have, if nothing else, you had a fan that froze to death. So you want to treat your, your customer a little bit better than that if you're making executive decisions about game time, you know, temperatures. But, you know, just to go back to what you said about the guy saying they wish they hadn't played that game, I think that was how they felt at the time. In retrospect, every one of them says, I wouldn't have done it differently. My, you know, I'm so proud of uh, my, my win that day or the effort that I, that I gave that day. And um, they all love being football players, and they love being a part of that, that special time, even though for half of them it didn't work out the way they wanted. I think that's a nice sentiment to end on. Uh, Mr. Meredith, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, best of luck with uh, the premiere. I, I hope it goes well. And uh, thanks for talking to us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And I, I hope everybody enjoys it. The show tonight is called The Timeline, The Ice Bowl. It premieres Friday at 8 p.m. Central Time on the NFL Network detailing the 1967 NFL championship game between the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys. Thank you to Michael Meredith for being our guest on today's show as we continue on. I'll try to tell you, Vince, in our Packers news segment and my commentary on it. And Railbird Central, by the way, is brought to you by Beer Rock, Madison's forthcoming beer bar, opening in the spring of 2018. Can't wait to see you there. Hope to see you there in a very short amount of time. Let's talk Packers news here. Well, we have an update to the Jason Spriggs injury that is quite encouraging than what was expected. Um, this was after what head coach Mike McCarthy deemed a, quote, serious injury, end quote, after last week's game. Upon hearing that, my reaction was quite negative if you listened to our last episode. The good news for Spriggs is that it looks to be a dislocated left kneecap and no ligament damage. This is according to Rob Domovsky of ESPN and uh, and and this is a whole lot better than the prospect of losing an entire season, which I thought might be a possibility if Spriggs had had you know torn ligaments or an ACL or something like that. The report goes on to say that Spriggs should be ready for the start of the offseason program. Now I'm still not fully on the Spriggs bandwagon here. You you can, can still consider me skeptical. But if he's ready for the start of the offseason program, he at least has a chance to turn his career around. A ton of improvement still needs to be made if he's going to be in the starting lineup for this Packers team going forward. But being healthy is step number one in that process. So that's good news. He can really focus on, you know, basically, you know, January, February, March. Let, let's get that knee right and get healthy. So by the time April and May roll around, he's ready for the start of the offseason program and can begin the process of making himself better. And he needs to get a lot better. On a relatively minor roster note here, the Packers signed long snapper Zach Triner to the practice squad this week, uh, I believe on Wednesday. And just like we talked about last episode with wide, with wide receiver Jake Kumaro, who was also signed to the practice squad. It's more of an audition than anything at this point. 
contracts expire after this week for the practice squad players, and the Packers will then have to decide whether they'll sign them to a futures contract or not. Uh, the Packers are obviously looking for the long-term replacement to Brett Goode and, and haven't found him yet. Uh, they kept fellow long snapper Tabor Pepper on injured reserve, so he may be back once again to compete for that job. We'll have to see what the offseason brings in the special teams department. In coaching news, this may be the biggest news of the week here. Uh, the Packers appear to have lost a member of their coaching staff. Uh, according to a report coming out of The Athletic, Packers wide receivers coach Luke Getze will be taking a job to become Mississippi State's offensive coordinator. They, of course, made a change this offseason when uh, Dan Mullen left to become Florida's head coach, and they hired uh, Penn State offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead to become their head coach. Um, this report has yet to be confirmed by anyone, either Getze himself or the Packers or Mississippi State. Head coach Mike McCarthy declined to comment on it after being asked about it in a press conference. All parties are probably just waiting until each each's season is over. Um, you know, the Packers' last game is on Sunday, while Mississippi State's bowl game is on Saturday. They probably just want to wait till these things are done and, and then make the announcements afterwards. Um, Getze was known for some creative drills with the Packers, like like having the receivers catch bricks. Um, not to say that's the only thing he did in Green Bay, but that was among the most notable. Certainly, Devontae Adams rose to prominence under his tutelage. And, and now the Packers will have to hire a new receivers coach. Um, uh, uh, this off season, um, while while it was certainly expected to have some changes on the defensive coaching staff in the off season, I didn't expect the Packers to make many changes on the on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, one candidate to take over that job is already on staff. David Ray's title is offensive perimeter coach, so he already works heavily with the receivers and the quarterbacks. So. That's just an option the Packers have. I'm not saying it's going to happen that way. There's, there's many ways the Packers can go to get creative by filling that spot. Um, they could hire another wide receivers coach and keep David Ray where he is. They could shuffle around jobs like they've done before. There's any sort of direction the Packers will go, but more than likely they're going to hire somebody on the offensive side of the football this offseason. At least one, maybe more to come. Who knows? Um, as for sun, uh, Sunday's game now, uh, pardon me. It, it, I'm making my prediction here, and and pardon me if I don't hold out much hope for a Packers win. I, I suppose the good news is is that the Lions are eliminated from the playoffs too, so maybe there's not that much motivation on the other sideline either. And, and for whatever reason, Brett Hundley seems to play better on the road than he does at home. He, he's like the Packers version of Zach Davies of the Brewers, who always pitched better on the road than at home. Um, uh, but but this, this team is not taking any chances with their injured players. They're coming off multiple losses. And the Lions are just better this season. And Jim Caldwell may be coaching for his job. Um 
they at least will have a winning a winning record if they win on Sunday. Um, and, and I don't fall into the camp thinking you intentionally tank the game on Sunday just to get a better draft choice. I, I mean, the Packers are, in a sense, kind of doing that by being very conservative with their injured players. They're not taking any chances here with these guys. But but the number of draft spots they'd gain if they lose Sunday's game to Lions is, is negligible, in my opinion. The draft isn't something you guarantee. It, you, you can fail on a top five draft pick. You can fail on the top overall draft pick. And, and you can still hit on one late in the first round. You just have to make the best pick possible and hope it pans out. Um, and whether that comes with the 15th overall pick, you know, the Packers are going to be somewhere around that range. Hey, if they lose, maybe they could get a little bit earlier, maybe the 13th pick or something. I mean, it's, it's, you know, silly to, you know, sit here and, and, and I think quibble over, you know, uh, the merits of, of intentionally losing a game to try to, um, get a better draft pick you go out trying to win this game i mean that that sports you you don't create a culture where you intentionally lose and then you know the next season turn around and you know you're you're coaching these many of the same players even if there's high turnover there's gonna be many of these same players around next year and they need to know you're in it to win it but anyway uh i'm going with a 28 to 17 Lions win on Sunday and the 2017 season is put out of its misery and we can start focusing on 2018 for the Green Bay Packers uh and that's that moving on the day ahead all right so on Friday morning uh Green Bay Packers head coach Mike McCarthy will hold his final press conference of the week Ahead of the Lions game at 9.45, blah, 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 let me say that again, 9.45 a.m. Central Time, streaming live on Packers.com. And then on Friday afternoon, the Packers will release their final obligatory injury report of the week as well. There's like 15 names on this week's injury report, so there's no shortage of players to watch. But there was an addition to the injury report on Thursday um, compared to what they released on Wednesday. Defensive lineman Mike Daniels has a shoulder injury. We learned that yesterday. The Packers will already be challenged to field a full 46-man active roster on Sunday, so this certainly didn't help in that regard. Daniels was listed as a limited practice participant on Thursday. It's not as if he was out totally, so that at least gives a glimmer of hope, uh, but we'll find out more on Friday about him and others, and there's all sorts of players we're kind of wondering about yet. It was nice to see Demarius Randall and Clay Matthews return to practice, albeit on a limited basis, but... They're looking like they may be able to play, although certainly nothing is guaranteed with uh, at this point with the Packers eliminated and, and the team not taking many chances. But yeah, we're looking at you know Mike Daniels and others as to see. Uh, and another interesting one is is Geronimo Allison 
who's listed with a illness. Uh, if he just has a cold or a flu, it, he hasn't practiced yet this week, but it could certainly be a thing. It, you can recover rather quickly from something like that. So uh, maybe he gets healthy and he'll be able to play on Sunday. We wait to find out more later today, like I said. Friday evening, uh, don't forget to watch the timeline on the Ice Bowl on the NFL Network at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time, uh, making its uh, world debut or its broadcast debut, I should say. And then, as for the game on Sunday, uh, December 31st, New Year's Eve, it's a noon kickoff for the Packers and the Lions, and it's televised on Fox I saw the coverage map, and it's not very big this week. Basically, unless you live in Wisconsin or Michigan, you're not seeing it on your regular television outlets. If you happen to live outside that region, you may need to consume the game another way, whether it's a subscription to NFL Game Pass or the DirecTV Sunday ticket package. Um, Of course, there's also the Packers Radio Network. So those ways uh, are how you can catch Sunday's game. And then the season comes to a close. Early next week, players will be clearing out their lockers and coaches will conduct exit interviews. And you can expect the Packers to make some more moves on the coaching staff. How quickly they'll do that kind of remains to be seen. It's They probably won't wait a whole week to make them, uh, but they may wait a day or two. Um, So we'll find out uh, shortly after Sunday's game. And there will be a lot to catch up on on our next episode of Railbird Central, which will be next Wednesday. We will be taking off on Monday for the New Year's holiday. Just so happens that all these... These holidays are falling on Mondays here with Christmas and New Year's kind of preventing an episode from happening here. Um, So uh, we'll talk more five days from now will be our next episode. It'll be the season finale of talking to uh, Nathan Yonke of ProFootballFocus.com. We'll take one last look back at at the last game of the year, Week 17 matchup with him. Uh, we'll kind of look ahead to what's in store for 2018 and, and round up all the the season-ending news uh, from the game to coaching staff changes or anything that can happen between now and then. So that's going to do it for today's episode of Railbird Central, the final episode for 2017. I hope everyone has a happy new year out there. Uh, my best wishes to you. I definitely appreciate your listenership. And uh, we'll talk to you in 2018. So Railbird Central typically airs every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. That's live edition of the show. Then podcasted and on demand later in the day. We'll see you later, folks. Thank you to Michael Meredith for being our guest on today's show. And we'll be back five days from now talking to Nathan Yonke of Pro Football Focus. On behalf of everybody at Cheesehead TV, I'm Brian Caravu. I leave you today with a song called So Far From Home by the String Cheese Incident on Sci Fidelity Records. See you later, everyone. Go Pack Go. 